0: Okay, we, you, you probably, uh, most of you will know that we're actually working out how to live stream the services. So, we're, we're practicing this morning. So, you are on live, but you're only actually going to Jules. There's nobody else actually watching this morning, um, in theory. <laughs> um, right, okay. So, this is the third in our, well, series or study in Hebrews. Um, one of the things that I believe it is really important about this series and really important about what God's sharing with us, is that it removes so many of the obstacles for us to see his promises come to pass in our life. When we understand what Christ has done and when we understand how he works, then it's easier to believe him for things. And a lot of us... of of this relationship with God where we think it depends on us, where we think that if we can please God and do enough and clean up our act enough, then he'll answer our prayers. But apart from that, he's angry with us. And when we understand that the truth of the gospel is very different from that, then um, we can be set free to see more and more of his power in our life, and more and more of his love expressed through us. And that's why it's really important and why we're doing this series. Now, in previous weeks, we've established a couple of things. Firstly, there was a, a thing that we called the Old Covenant, or sometimes the Bible calls it the law. And sadly, that's the way most people think, of church. And it's the way most people think of Christians, that all we're about is what you can't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. God's upset with you. God's mad with you. Don't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And somehow we've got ourselves a reputation for being better known for what we're against than who we're for. And the truth is that that is representative of what the Bible calls the Old Covenant. Because the Old Covenant had... Terms. It had conditions. It had. uh, It was like a contract. So, if you were, if you met all the conditions, if you paid the price, if you worked hard enough, if you did enough for God, if you were holy enough, then you got blessed. If you were, if you stepped out of line, if you messed up, if you failed, then you got, you got the bad stuff. You got the penalties. And what we discovered in the first of this series was that. Jesus kept all the terms and conditions and he paid the price and he took all the penalties so that that old contract, that old covenant, he's now dealt with and filed away in God's dealt with draw. And because all that happened 2,000 years ago, we don't have any part to play in it because none of us, even the sort of more gray-haired ones, weren't around 2,000 years ago. There's nothing you can do about that. It's It's done. And what we discovered last week, instead of that, what we have is something very different. We have that was something that was paid for by Jesus' life, and paid for by his work, and paid for by all his efforts, and that we were given, instead of a contract that we were supposed to keep, we were given an inheritance, a legacy. Now that's really important. It's massively important. Because what it means is that instead of being achievers, we are receivers. Instead of being people who are outside God's family trying to earn the privilege of getting something from him, as believers, we are part of his family who receive from him. And that alters the whole way we pray. It alters the whole way we relate to God. Now, sadly, not... Everybody, even most believers, don't understand that. Um, They think that God still operates on the basis that we have to work hard to please him all the time, otherwise he's mad with us. And the more we work to please him, the more we clean up our act, the more he'll answer our prayers. That simply is not true. You see, the gospel, have you heard the word gospel? Yeah? Yeah? The gospel means good news. Say good news. news. Not bad news. Good news. Say good news again. And let me tell you that if everything depended on me and how well I did and how well I performed and how holy I was, that wouldn't be good news. That would be bad news. But thankfully, it depends on how good, how holy and how perfect Jesus was. And that he did everything. He paid the penalties. He paid the price for me. And that's good news. And what's left for me is to receive the benefit of that, to believe it. Yeah? Okay. Now, out of all the ones I'm going to talk about on Hebrews, this is probably the one you you might find hardest to get your head around. Because this is like a cumulative revelation. And... So just before, I, just before I, like, really launch into it, I want you to say something. I want you to declare it. I want you to declare, I've got an open mind. And I'm willing to change. And I'm willing to change. Good, right. Okay, I'll hold, you, I'll hold you to that. All right. Now, one of the things, you remember last week we said that what we have is an inheritance. We don't have a covenant, a contract to be kept. We have a testament. A last will and testament paid for by Jesus' life. And one of the things that you find in a will, the first, almost the very first sentence, after it says, This is the last will and testament of so and so, whatever, of sound mind and body, and and then the next thing it says, This will revokes all previous wills and testaments. Have you ever seen that? Have you, have you read wills? Uh, ever heard one read out? It says, this will revokes all previous wills and testaments. And what that means is that it supersedes anything that went before it. Uh, if, the, if people had written a will that was dated before that, that's now, out, that's now of no effect. So this will supersedes all will, previous wills and testaments. Now, the the New Testament, the good news that we have is a last will and testament. And you remember that what that that means is that in the first week we were looking at this, we remember we came across this sentence and it said this, in that, so it's talking about God, in that God says a new covenant, he has by that made the first obsolete. And so, I want you to say, to me, say this with me, because I'm going to try and get you to interact a little bit to, to, to sort of to, to encourage you along. Say obsolete.
1: Obsolete.
0: obsolete. obsolete. Right. Um, now, obsolete is a translation there of a Greek word, palaiou. You don't have to say that, and that's probably not how you say it anyway. <laughs> but it's how I've written it down here, palaiou. It means worn out and exhausted by time, or used up fully over time. It means its usefulness in this context has ended. Now, that's a strong statement, isn't it, to make about the Old Covenant. That's a strong statement to make about the law, that its usefulness in this context has ended. Say ended. 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 Now, that's, you might not spot it yet, but that is brilliant news. That is absolutely fantastic news. But it's also news that makes us uncomfortable. Now, obsolete, anybody know what obsolete means? Better? Done with, with. yeah. Superseded, outdated, usefulness has ended. That's what the dictionary definition of obsolete is. And what that means is that the way people can relate to God now is very different from the way people related to God under the law. That means we don't relate to God by rules and requirements and religious observances. Now that makes things a bit scary because as human beings, we like rules. We like boundaries. We like to know how to relate and and when we've gone too far. More than that, as human beings, we like things to depend on how well we perform, because we're trained for that from birth. The way we train and have learned to to live life is to work hard, do well, and you'll get the benefits. The thing is, the kingdom doesn't work like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard and do well. You should, but that's not how the relationship that we have with God works. Now, I want to to show you this, and before I get into Hebrews, I want to show you this from something that Jesus said. Because the principle I'm talking about this morning is you cannot mix new and old. You can't mix new and old. And Jesus Go to, go, well, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. The words will come up on the screen, so if you haven't got your Bible with you, they'll be on the screen. But if you have got the Bible, your Bible with you, go to Matthew chapter 9. Check out what I'm saying. It's always really good to see if I'm telling you the truth. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 16. So Jesus is getting hassled by these guys called the Pharisees, who were very religious people and were fantastic at keeping rules. In fact, they were so fantastic at keeping rules that they made all their own rules up to go on top of those rules to help you keep the original rules. And so these Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your followers, they're not doing what, what John the Baptist followers did and they're not doing what all the other followers of God have done. They seem to be kind of like not, not doing... Well, they're just not following what we would expect. And so Jesus answers them, and he says this, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined." but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, for us church people, I want you to get over something here because you're going to have to do that because despite what everybody has talked about for years, this has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with new models and new ways of doing church absolutely nothing to do with new ways of doing it. Have you heard it We need a new wineskin, so let's reinvent the way we do our meetings. Or we need a new wineskin, so let's meet in a house. Or we need a new wineskin, so let's meet in a cafe. Jesus isn't talking about that absolutely in any way whatsoever. So we don't need to meet in a cafe. We're kind of all right here. So I bet that's a relief for you all, isn't it? Now, What is difficult for us to appreciate these days is how shocking what Jesus just said was to a Pharisee that he was answering. Because the Pharisee couldn't see past rules. He couldn't see past performance. He couldn't see past religion. And what Jesus has just told him is, you know know God promised you a new covenant. Well, when that new covenant comes, you're not going to be able to bolt it on to what you've already got. Because when you try, if you're going to try and mix it with what you've already got, it's not going to make things better, it's going to make things worse. You see, a lot of people at that time, the Pharisees in particular, wanted a new way of relating to God, but what they wanted to do was to keep all the old way and bolt on the new stuff. Because they thought, well, we've already got all this, so let's just make all this better. Let me tell you this. Grace cannot be sewed on, tacked onto, stuck onto, or poured into a system of legalism and religion. It just can't. Because it makes things worse if you try and do that. There's four consequences when we try mixing things. And, and they're the, the sort of hidden in what Jesus says here. The, firstly, the first thing is that new life cannot be contained by rules. What Jesus has come and done for us and given us is way too radical to be formulated. It's way too radical to be contained in a set of rules, regulations, and six steps to this and seven steps to that. It's way too radical. And so, when you try and do that and formulate what Jesus has done, it doesn't work. Secondly, what it does, and we can see this, it destroys the dynamism of the church because it takes away the church's message. You want to know the real reason why we're not seeing the power of God and change in this land? it's because we're still trying to tack on what we've got to a system of religion. And in the New Testament, they didn't, early days, they didn't do that. They knew how to relate to God. They knew how much he loved them. They knew how much he cared for them. They knew what Christ had done at the cross. They knew that all God's promises were yes and amen. And they saw miracle after miracle and thousands and thousands and thousands coming into the kingdom until Christianity spread across the world. And then we decided to make it religious again and bring in our rules. The third thing it does is this. Mixing puts you in a place of trying to earn your inheritance. To prove yourselves good enough to have received that inheritance. That's the one thing you can't do with inheritance. You can't pay for an inheritance. All you can do is receive it or leave it on the table. And the fourth thing it does, mixing produces condemnation and failure. You know, um, this has been happening to me repeatedly over the last, I'd guess, several weeks now. uh, Individuals that we've encountered um, outside the church and so on. And and last week it happened again, but on quite a a major scale. In, I was talking to somebody, um, a young lady, and... We were we just chatting and we got onto the topic of, you know, how, how we want saved, always saved. I'm not getting into that this morning. But I, my, I said, well, let me ask you, why do you want to know? And she just disintegrated and just, like, started weeping, like, uncontrollably. And, and what was at the bottom of it is that she wanted to know if God really loved her because she couldn't get past the God who was angry with her all the time. She was conscious of all her own failings. And, and what, what's happened is that over the last few years, she's been in, 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 a, in a couple of churches and she's been beaten up week after week and they've been on her case telling her how bad she is, telling her how much she messes up, telling her she must have demons because that's the way she behaves and she needs deliverance. And, and, and they've had her repenting and crying out every week Every, week after week, about how bad she is. And you know the net effect of that is she is condemned, she feels a failure, she can't break out of it. In fact, the patterns in her life are much more ingrained than they were in the first place, and it's destroying her. And Jesus is saying you can't put the new onto the old. Yeah. And if we want to help those your you might think, well, that's that's how it's been for me. I'm kind of hoping it's not. If you've been around Faith Life for more than a few weeks, but you know, there's so many people in that place yeah. who their only relationship with God is to know how miserable they are, and to know that, and and to sense that He's angry with them all the time. So what happens when He meets grace and law? Yeah. See, in my early walk with God, I. I, I I guess I had a mixture. I had just enough, just enough new to get me saved, but more than enough old to keep me in bondage, to, to keep me in the same patterns in my life. To, to, the, the, there was very little change. You know, my character didn't change. My uh, attitude didn't change. I tried harder. I tried harder. It didn't work, so I tried harder. And that didn't work, so I tried harder again, and much harder than I did last time. And it still didn't work. Because however hard I tried... I still couldn't be perfect. I still couldn't get it all right. See, this sort of thing, it's it's just really easy to miss. And it's really easy to live under. Let me tell you why. It's easy to live under because we use all the right words with all the wrong heart. You see, religious people aren't easy to spot because they use all the right words. They'll use words like uh, victory of the cross, saved by grace, by faith alone, spirit-led. And even if they're really ultra-charismatic but religious, they might say, I'm in the river. You know, that sort of thing. Um, You see, you can use all the right words, but then if you go and just... If you go right ahead and you, add, and you have loads of rules and, and you focus on failure and sin all the time and you focus on trying to please God by your own effort and, you, and your own merit, then you're saying one thing and doing another. Jesus has a word for that sort of person. They're called a hypocrite. And, and Jesus' words about that sort of person aren't very complimentary and I'm not going to repeat them here. But you can use all the right words and yet you can still be religious and you can still be mixing grace and law and you can still end up condemning people like that poor girl and not setting her free but making things worse. You know, you've probably had some people in your own life at, at various points and they've come along and, and they've used all those right words and they've prayed for you and at the end of being prayed for the end of being ministered to you felt yuck that's a really good sign that you've got the wrong spirit around. You see, it's not the words that matter. It's what you practice and what you do and the culture that you create that matters. It's a culture of grace, a culture of loving each other, a culture of being family that is important. Right, so this is where I get slightly controversial. Say, Mark's never controversial. This is a big departure for him. Okay. This is why, you know, I I know a lot of people who think, who are believers, who still think law has a place in the life of a believer. And you might be one of those people right now. So I'm just asking you, because you promised me at the start that you would keep your ears open and you would be willing to change, yeah? God goes, oh dear. (laughs) And they think that as Christians, we're supposed to keep the standard of the law in order to please God. The idea here is that you're saved by grace, but you're sanctified, that's made more like Jesus, by your efforts, and by keeping rules. And I know what it's like to live under this because I lived like that for 21 years until I realized that that's not how God related to me. And then all of a sudden, my relationship went from distant with God to close. Now, Here's me being, just clarifying things for you. It isn't that as New Covenant believers or New Testament believers or, or whatever, Christians, we should be less holy. Quite the contrary, we should be more holy. Because when we believe, we're given the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us to empower us to be a different person, to empower us to be more like God. In other words, God comes and, and he changes our hearts when we believe. So he makes it possible for us to live differently from what we did before. So it's not that we should live less holy. We should actually be characterized by being more holy. But the point I'm going to make and the point that you'll see is that if those 21 years and, and right now, if the law helped me in any way whatsoever, I would grab right hold of it and I would not let it go. But the truth is, it doesn't help me in any way whatsoever. My desire to be more like Christ isn't helped by law, rules, effort, my performance, and everything depending on me. It's different. And to do that, I'm going to have to get, your, get you to see that the law is obsolete. Relating to God on the basis of how good you are is obsolete. Relating to God on the basis of your performance, your holiness, is obsolete. And more to the point, the harder you're trying to be holy in order to get God to move in your life, the more he is unlikely to move in your life. Because he wants you to know it's not about you being good, it's about the fact that he is good and he loves you. You see, we all want change, don't we? Who wants to to see change in their life? Who's got little bits of their life that could do with a good scrubbing up occasionally? That's a northern term. So we all want change, but the change in the New Testament, what we have as believers, this side of the cross, is a change of heart. It's not a change of rule keeping. It's a work, not of the letter and the rule, but a work of the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit is very different. Go with me. So I finally made it to Hebrews, which is obviously the thing I'm I'm talking about in this series. Hebrews, go with me, Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 8. Previously he said, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them. That's a, that's a quote from the Old Testament, God saying that. I, did, I, I didn't have pleasure in the fact you went through all this in order to try and please me. I didn't have pleasure that we had all this sa- system of sacrifice so you could deal with the sin in your life. Because what I'm more interested in is your heart. I'm more interested in you than what you do. which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's Jesus. Jesus takes away the first in order to establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is those words take away. He takes away the first. Do you know what that word is? It is makes obsolete or supersedes. It's the same word. So to take away, he's made the first obsolete. It's superseded. You know, it, the, the New Testament revokes everything that's gone before it. Remember what I was saying at the start? So he's taken away. And the new, unlike the old, pleases God. Why is that? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The old covenant, the law, wasn't a covenant of faith. It was a covenant of obedience and effort. So it didn't ultimately please God, because the only thing that pleases God is believing him, trusting him, having faith in him. You know, everything you do, which is without faith, is, doesn't please God. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's not what he's interested in. He's not angry. He just doesn't press his buttons, I suppose, if God has buttons. I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't, just, doesn't, just doesn't do it for him. Now, go back with me to Hebrews 7. And you'll see it again. Verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandments because of their weakness and unprofitableness. So the law was unprofitable. It was weak. So it's been annulled. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Guess what annulling means? set aside, cancelled, obsolete. Yeah? So if you're married, you're old. you're not married anymore, are you? You're not connected to it. Or you're not connected to the person. In this case, you're not connected to law. Paul, in Romans ten four puts it in even more categorically. He says, Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. Now, at this point, you might be getting like, okay, well, I'm still with it, but I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. Now, here's the issue. And, you, and, and I want to set you free from this. Because you will find a lot of books and a lot of um, speakers or teachers or whatever who adopt a pick-and-mix attitude or a pick-and-mix approach. And you know what? It, it actually sounds good. It sounds like it should be right. Um, and so despite the clear statements that I've just shown you, what they will communicate or what they'll, they'll write about or what they'll say and what they'll, the culture that they create around them is a mixture of new and old. And you're going, well, I, I don't know if I've seen that. Well. It's like this, it's a mixture of achieving and receiving. Maybe later on in the series, I might talk about how you can tell when you're receiving a mixed gospel, a mixture of law and grace. And it's usually that what you're receiving and hearing is a mixture of carrots and sticks. Do You know what carrots and sticks are? You've got the carrot that you, it pulls you on, and there's Jesus, but right, right behind you, every time you like stray from the path, somebody whacks you hard with a stick. And that's how, kind of a lot, how a lot of Christianity comes across. And it might be what you've, you've experienced before. But the logic now, what, what people will say, is there's a distinction between the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament and the moral laws. And so all the ceremonial laws about head coverings, garlands, not having tattoos, uh, things of mixed cloth, you know, going outside, uh, well, I, you know, having to live outside the city when women were menstruating and all sorts of crazy things that They're not in effect anymore. But all the moral laws are. And that sounds kind of good, doesn't it? it sounds, because that's what a lot of people say, you know, we, Jesus binned all the ceremonial laws, but he kept all the moral Sounds like it should be right, shouldn't it? But it isn't. Let me show you. You see, very few people today believe that Christians are required to keep all the law. They just think we're supposed to keep some of it. I mean, there's a school behind us where uh, the girls still wear head coverings and they don't mix with people who, who are not part of their uh, um, denomination. Uh, they, they don't mix with people in normal life. Um, and so they keep a lot more of those laws than we do. Sue's so right. You see, one of the things about being able to say, well, these laws still apply and those ones don't, is of course it allows it to be actually, it has a pleasant outcome of making the law a lot easier to keep. Because if anybody here is wearing clothing of mixed cloth, you know, polyester, cotton, mixed fibers, that sort of stuff, sorry, you broke the law. Any, I, I mean, I could get you, I'm not going to. Anybody here with tattoos, sorry, you, you broke the law. And it would be nice to not have those bits and just have the, bit, the bit model bit, wouldn't it? pick and mix is really convenient and what the bit I like is that it would allow me to avoid all the dietary laws <laughs> uh, and the other thing it would allow me to do is it would allow me not to have to stone any of you after this service because you stepped out of line. You see it's kind of like I, I'm not going to ask you this question but anybody in here who at some point in their life has committed adultery, sorry after this service I'm taking you outside to stone you. Of course, we go, well, that's stupid, isn't it? Say that's stupid. stupid. Mark's been stupid. (laughs) Uh, But my point is this, and it's a good point, is which bits do you leave out and which bits do you include? Because whilst pick and mix might be convenient, what's your basis for that? Is it just like, well, they're the ones I don't like? They're the ones that aren't convenient for us anymore in modern society. Even when we do that and we say, okay, it's only the moral laws, we are surprisingly unable to keep even that bit. We still lie. Some people are nodding. You don't have to give yourself away like that. (laughs) We are riddled with pride. You don't nod for the riddled with pride. You go, that's how I can identify you. We're riddled with pride. Anybody here, just on your little heart, how many of you are quite envious of other people at the moment or somebody else? How many of you would like what that other person's got, coveting what they've got? How many of you right at this moment entertaining thoughts that shouldn't be in your head? I'm not I'm not here to come down here, I'm just asking. How many of you steal? Well, I would never steal. Hmm. Are you always on at work on time? Do you never slip off early? Do you always fill your timesheets inaccurately? Your expense forms always accurate. You see, we like to judge others by a standard we don't apply to ourselves. And that's what happens when we, can, when we pick and choose law. When we pick and choose which bits are going to apply. Now, say good news. good news. I'm going to sort all that out for you. Okay? Here's how it works. The law attributed to Moses 613 commandments. Say 613. 613. Say, that's a, that's a lot. I must have bought one of them. Right, so here's, here's, here's how it works. The law, say say the law. The law. Now, listen to what you just said. You said the law. You didn't say the laws. The law is a single entity. It is the law. And you cannot separate out parts from a whole. They had a penny drop there, didn't it? I like that one. In, um, when you try and pick and mix bits of the law, what are you doing? You are playing God. Jesus has some really strong things to play, say about people who play God. Firstly, he calls you a hypocrite because you can't do it. And secondly, he says that's really kind of dangerous. And if that's you, later, I'll take you outside and stone you. Okay, But that's how the law worked. You can't pick a mix. Galatians 5.3 says it. Uh, basically, with the Galatia, church in Galatia was importing some of the bits of the law and mixing them in with the gospel. And they had this idea that we'll... In fact, they were, they were, they were actually bringing in some of the ceremonial ones about circumcision and things like that. And, it, and this is what Paul said. I testify again to every man who is circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Uh, James says later on that if you fail the law in one point, one of the 613, you broke the whole of the law. The law is a single entity. You can't pick a mix. Okay, so this is where you're really going to have to go with me. I've got a good point at the end of it, so you're going to have to go with me for this kind of more minor because this is where I'm going to tread on your toes. People who've now heard what I just said about not separating out the ceremonial and the moral. will say, "Yeah, but we should keep the Ten Commandments. We should keep the Ten Commandments. She's looking really worried now. Scott, <laughs> you never told me you we're going to say this. Most believers think we should keep the Ten Commandments and ditch everything else. That's how most believers think, because we can always find one of those Ten commandments that we're failing in our head, even if not in our, thing, even if not in our actions. I'll just remind you again, the law is a single entity. It's 613 commandments. But that idea of the Ten Commandments being something different is ingrained in church culture. And it's that that attaches all the legalism that comes out in the way we treat people. Because we have in mind there must be something there that we're meant to keep. And when we're not keeping it, God must be angry with us. And of course, not many of us are murderers. But I guarantee you at some point today, if not already, you will have failed one of those commandments, even the 10. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and have no other God before him 24-7 every day of the week? See how difficult it is. The truth is we all fail when we try to keep them. So here's where it comes to. Don't we need the law to remind us how to walk on the straight of narrow? And some people say, well, God gave the law to show us what he was like. No, he didn't. He gave the law to show you how bad you were and lead you to Christ so you could find a savior to be set free from it. God is perfectly holy. But he's not trying to show you As a believer, how unholy you are. He's trying to show you, when you were an unbeliever, that you needed a Savior, and that Savior will set you free and help you live a different life. You see, Jesus died to get sin out of our life. Any way you look at it, the goal is less sin. I'm more, look, at was looking more like Jesus. Anyway, you, you, you cut it. The point that Jesus makes and Paul makes and John makes and James makes is you can't get there as long as you're trying to keep law and impress God with your own performance. Now, here's the shocker. The law does not cause you to sin Trying to do it all off your own steam and keep all the rules and please, please God on your own basis will actually cause you to sin more. You go, oh, really? That's, that's like, okay, you're getting all your toes stood on now. I'm not standing on your toes. I'm just repeating what Paul said. Can't remember Paul saying like that. Well, let go with me to Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Go on, check it out. I've got it up on the screen there. And Romans chapter 7, verse 8. So this is Paul. How many of you think that Paul was kind of one of the best Christians around? Yeah? Other than Jesus, Paul's my hero. Yeah? Would you say that Paul, like, if anybody would get it nailed, he would have got it nailed? Yeah? Quite a bright guy, wasn't he? This is what Paul said. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So, when we adopt an approach which is based on our flesh, that's our our efforts, trying to please God by our own religious following and rule-keeping and performance, then... The net effect of it is in trying to do that, it arouses sinful passions in our flesh. And then verse 8. But sin, this is Paul talking about himself. This is Paul talking about himself. Sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead in me. Sin actually produces sin. Uh, Law actually produces sin. And then it tells you how bad you are for breaking the law. But it has no power to change you. Now, let me just get this Ten Commandments thing out of the the way. Because if that's true, then if our focus is on our sinfulness and we are sin conscious, and, and, and that's the only function of law, to make us sin conscious, if we sin conscious then it makes the situation worse, not better. And that's why that, that, that young lady disintegrated last Sunday. Because she had no way out. Apart from to be abused week after week by being told how bad she was and that God was angry with her. See, let me just deal with the Ten Commandments. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 8. I'm kind of nearly done, so you're still awake, you're doing, you're, you're all right. Not long to go. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 8. If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel couldn't look so- steadily the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away how will the ministry of the Spirit not be even more glorious? What's that talking about? It's talking about Moses. He went up the mountain. He received the law. He wrote it down on tablets. Came down the mountain and and people couldn't look at him because he was still carrying the glory from being in God's presence. Okay, you've all missed it, haven't you? Tell me what Paul... Paul here is calling the ministry of death. What was written on the stones? The Ten Commandments. Commandments. What does Paul call it? The The ministry of death. The law is meant to show you you can't get to God by your own efforts because you'll never be good enough. We approach God, we're changed by God, we fall more and more in love with him because of his efforts, he's done, the price he paid, and because he gave us his spirit, and his spirit changes us. You have a force in you as a born-again believer, and it's called the spirit of Christ. And the effect of it is to shed love abroad in your heart. And the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more that spirit changes us. You see here's the point: you can tell me how bad I am. You can tell me all the things I do wrong and and it, you know some people will pick up on you, do you know those people they pick up on every little point and it's not not big things it's Well, if your handwriting didn't slope so much. You know, I I didn't like the way you opened that door. You know, some people just pick on every little thing and it's never quite good enough, is it? That's what the law does. It's just awful when you're around people like that, isn't it? They're just picking on every little thing that you do and it's never quite good enough. You see, you can tell me all the things that I do. But here's the truth. What I do is not the same as who I am. And right now, inside, I am wall to wall, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is changing me from glory to glory. And each day I fall in love with God more and more. And he tells me that he's made me righteous because he placed me in Christ because Christ died for me and he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that's who I am. I'm a loved child of God. And my, work, my Bible tells me that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I carry the authority of the kingdom. And that if I keep my eyes on Jesus, the more I look at Jesus, I will be transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. And that's who I am. I might sometimes do wrong things, but week in, week out, I am going upwards. I am on a trajectory where I am looking more and more like Christ. You see, you, people, they, they try and get you in this thing, oh, well, you do wrong and you do this, you know, with we, miserable sinners. No, as born a believers... If you look to take snapshots of your life over time, you should be sinning less and less. Why? Because you look like Christ more and more. You're not sinning less and less because you're trying harder. You're sinning less and less because you're looking more and more like who he made you to be and who you are inside. That The Holy Spirit has changed you and is changing you. We all want change, but change comes by knowing that that is not who we are. You see, when I do something wrong, I don't go, God, what a terrible person I am. Now, I know that might shock some of you, but I don't. I have learned to do something else. I have learned to go, that's not who I am. I can't believe I did that because that isn't who I am. That's not the person I am. And I let myself down because that's not who I am. So, Jesus, I'm turning to you and I want you to tell me who I am. And He says, I, You're my beloved Son. I died for you. I gave myself for you. I gave you my spirit. I gave you my life. I've empowered you to love. Go on, love. Get on with it. See, most Christians never get on with it because they're too busy looking backwards and going, what a mess I am. Well, that's not who I am. I don't have to deal with that. Yes, I let myself down because that isn't who I am. I am not that sort of person. So let's get on with it. Are you alright with this? Yeah. Yes, good. Can I have the worship team? How many of you how many of you have you still got in the room? <laughs> Which is the one with all God's promises, yes and amen. Let's stand. Let's let's just worship. Because what, what I want us to do is just, instead of focusing on us, I want you to focus on God. This is what Jesus says. He says, in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. Now, just think about it for a moment. In yes and amen, there's no no's. There's no maybes. There's no dependings and you haven't got anything to do with it because we are no longer under law but under grace. And grace does not call me back to my mistakes. Grace calls me forward into the arms of Jesus until I look like him. Amen.